UVA has its starter at quarterback, Virginia Tech has its season opener pushed back, and the ACC okays pumping in crowd noise to largely empty stadiums. All that and more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 18 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and here with me as always is my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, Mr. David Teal. How are you, David? I'm doing fine, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. Are you uh, being deluged by rain there the way we are here in Charlottesville? No, we're dry. Oh, you're very lucky. <laughs> we have we have had flood warning, flood watch, and oh, yeah. This was also the the weekend that I was trying to build uh, a pool deck for my daughter so she can use our inflatable pool a little bit before school starts. Our backyard kind of has a slope, and we were trying to level it off, but obviously Mother Nature had other plans for us. Well, I'm sure you could uh, move those plans inside, although I take it they won't involve swimming indoors. <laughs> well, if it was up to her, they might, but I think my <laughs> wife might lose her mind. Uh, so, David, before we jump into the ACC and, and the UVA Virginia Tech talk that, that we're going to do today, I wanted to hit quickly the, the passing of John Thompson, uh, former Georgetown basketball coach and you know, really one of those figures who I think transcended sport, went beyond college basketball with the uh, impact he had um, in his community and, and really nationally. And I know you had some experiences w- with Coach Thompson. What what were kind of your thoughts when, when you heard of his passing and how do you view his legacy? Well, I, I think we all greeted the news, Mike, with just profound sadness. Coach Thompson was literally and figuratively, as, as, as you know as well, larger than life. I mean, he was just this massive six foot ten man with this thunderous voice. And he used that voice not only as a basketball coach, but as an activist. And oh, to have that voice in these times of ours today, because I think it would be such an asset. Well said. That was the first thing I thought of was this is sort of a John Thompson moment that this country is going through. And uh, yeah, I, but I also think that it was his work and his voice that, that maybe in some ways helped bring us to, to this moment where athletes are empowered and, and athletes have more of a voice and you know the sporting world doesn't stick to sports. And I think some of that is a credit to John Thompson. And I always like to share this story, though. He, he was such a imposing figure, right? Because he was such a big guy and he did have that voice. And if you were an average fella like me, (laughs) he naturally looked down on you just from his height. Uh, And I remember being a sophomore in college and covering a Georgetown Rutgers basketball game in DC. And I missed his part of the post-game press conference. And I didn't want to leave without John Thompson quotes. So I ran down the hallway after him and I caught him in the hallway and I said, coach, I'm sorry, I missed you. Could I ask you a couple of quick questions? And he, he kind of looked down on me and in this big booming voice, I can't remember his exact words, but it was something to the effect of, you know, like, are you kidding me? And it was a playful kind of uh, intimidation and then he sat there and answered three questions for me. So I had some John Thompson quotes in, in my story. And I always remember that about him, that um, th- there was such a, a grace and a kindness um, 
that sort of didn't match that that big frame and that big voice and a great man and a great loss for the sports world. Absolutely. I mean, Mike, because of his recruitment of, of Alan Iverson, I mean, I've, I've been around John a lot. And he could charm and intimidate often in the same conversation. And I'll, I'll never forget one day my phone rang, and it, this was before caller ID. And it was also during very tense racial times in Hampton Roads because of Alan Iverson's trial and subsequent conviction. And I picked up the phone, and this voice says, David, this is John Thompson. And I'm thinking, well, I didn't need an introduction because I knew it as soon as you said David. <laughs> and he continues and says, what in the hell is going on down there? <laughs> it was, uh, you know, he, he wanted some local intel and who was I to turn him down, right? When John Thompson comes calling, you answer. <laughs> Yes. Well, he'll certainly be missed. David, jumping into the, the ACC and, and what we want to talk about today, and maybe the most normal undertaking <laughs> we've had in, in quite some time, right? We were, we were asked this week to vote for the all-ACC football team and to predict how teams would finish up in the league. Now, before we break down how you and I voted, I'm curious, how much did you enjoy just that sort of run-of-the-mill normal activity? I, uh, fo folks don't know him. Folks who listen to the podcast don't know Kevin Best, who is the head of communications at, at the ACC office. And when Kevin sent out the email Friday with the ballot to media members, I immediately responded to him and said, dude, thanks for my favorite email of like the last five months. This is like mana from heaven. I mean, it, it was, it was awesome. And I, I'm like you, I enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah. It, it's just, you know, for all the time we spend and rightfully so talking about current events, talking about COVID, talking about social change, those are heavy issues. And when you open your email and you see, hey, what do you think the order of finish is going to be or who's the player of the year? It's, it was like a present to me. It was like unwrapping a gift. And uh, then you get into it and you remember that, you know, these things are kind of challenging, right? You, you, you've got only a few spots. You've got a lot of great players in the league. It's why we hope there's football this year. So of the players that you voted for anywhere on that ballot, who are you most excited to watch this season and, and how many of them play for Clemson? <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, you start probably in, in, in there, Mike, it, 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 as, as much as I admire and like Trevor Lawrence and he may win the Heisman trophy and he's probably going to be the number one pick of the NFL draft whenever he so chooses, but Travis Etienne, the Tigers running back to me, I mean, he's a two-time ACC player of the year. If he wins a third, he'll be the first guy in a power five league to win three player of the year awards other than Herschel Walker, who by hmm. the way was, was pretty good. But ETN clearly is no Herschel Walker from a stylistic standpoint, but his career yards per carry is bordering on eight i mean five is terrific he's not at six he's not at seven he's at eight yards a pop i mean 
this guy uh, of all the, the the people we voted for, and even the ones that you couldn't get on the ballot, guys we haven't seen, Derek King, the transfer quarterback at, at, at Miami, comes to mind. But to me, Travis Etienne's the most dynamic player in the league. Yeah, I think it's hard to argue with that. And you know what a game changer it is when you have a back like that who can can any any play can go the distance any play can get you a first down right it it changes the whole model of football really you think of you run the ball you're hoping to get two or three yards and stay ahead of the chains and uh Travis Etienne's the kind of player who, who leaves the chains behind him how about this of the guys you omitted <laughs> who was the hardest and I'll use the fans favorite word who was the hardest snub for you well the two of them and they they're, they're both guys we cover and one was Christian Derisaw, Virginia Tech's offensive tackle, because I opted for Liam Eikenberg mm-hmm. at Notre Dame and Jackson Carmen at Clemson. Uh, Carmen Dabo Sweeney thinks he can be the best tackle in the country, and Eikenberg is the best offensive lineman in a program that may have the best O-line in the country this season and before people start going crazy why are you doing voting for a notre dame guy hey they're they're part of the league and they're on the ballot but dara saw to me was was tough to omit and then at linebacker charles snowden at at uva i mean i've i voted for chas surratt uh from carolina rayshard ashby from virginia tech and jeremiah wuso karamar from from notre dame so those were the two uh, really hardest guys to leave off the ballot was were Darisaw and Snowden. That makes sense. I actually had Snowden on mine, and uh, I went back and forth between I won't butcher his name, but the linebacker from Notre Dame and and Snowden, and I ended up going with Snowden. The hardest one for me was my third wide receiver. And it was two guys from Carolina that yeah. I was choosing mm-hmm. between, and uh, Brown and Newsom. And and in the end, I went with Daz Newsom. Maybe it's unfair because I thought of some of his special team ability and some of that. But, sure. uh, you know, in the end, I gave him the edge. But, hey, with Sam Howell at quarterback, that's quite a, a duo they have at Carolina this year. Well, they're the only uh, team in the country, Mike, with two returning 1,000-yard receivers in De'Ami Brown and, and Daz Newsom. And let's not forget, they got some good running backs led by Michael Carter. I mean, Carolina's offense could be off the charts this season. And if they find some semblance of defense to go with it, they're going to be a whole heck of a lot better than the 7-6 and six of 2019. And that segues very nicely into how much, how much better do you see them? What is your predicted order of finish? And, and let me start by asking, are we still at the point because I have got my ballot in front of me. <laughs> Are we still at the point where it's Clemson and then everybody else? And is it Clemson, Notre Dame, and then everybody else? Or how do you see that? Well, that's how my ballot reads. I, I did vote Clemson one and wouldn't have thought of any other team. I mean, when you've won five in a row and you return Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne and you've got an embarrassment of riches on, on defense, yeah, you're going to get my vote. I voted Notre Dame two and Carolina three and the Hokies four. They're my top four. Now, that's pretty close to what I have. I had Clemson, like you said. I, they were sort of penciled in at number one before I even knew we'd be doing a ballot this year. 
Notre Dame's interesting to me. I do have them at, at number two. I, I think they're really strong. I can't decide if they're closer to Clemson at number one or closer to my North Carolina at three. Um, that's one of the things I'm really curious about this season is, are we headed to a Clemson-Notre Dame showdown or is it Clemson? And then I have Notre Dame, North Carolina, Louisville. Then I have Virginia Tech and Miami. That next group to me, um, I'm curious where they stack up with Notre Dame. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. We, we differ very little because I have Tech at four, Louisville at five, Miami at six. So our top six are exactly alike, except we have four and five flipped. That's that's the only difference. And much like North Carolina, Louisville's offense could be really, really good. I mean, it was really good last year. I mean, only Clemson among ACC teams averaged more points per game and more yards per play than Louisville with Mikhail Cunningham and Tutu Atwell and JV and Hawkins. Those cats can go now. And oh, by the way, the Cardinals play both the Hokies and the Cavaliers this season. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch that. The Cavaliers, I'm so high on their defense. I think their defense can be maybe one of the, the two or three best in the conference. I think they'll have the pieces in offense to be good, but I filled out my predicted order of finish and I have them ninth. Uh, am I underestimating the Cavaliers? You may be. I may be underestimating them. I have them eighth and a, a, a tick ahead of, of Florida State and, and just behind Pittsburgh. You know, how, how good, you know, you mentioned at the top that Virginia has a starting quarterback and we'll get more into that, but how good can Brennan Armstrong be? What kind of running attack are they are they going to have? Haven't had much one of late outside of Bryce Perkins at quarterback. So I, I think there are enough questions about the offense to justify that range where we have Virginia. Although I don't think either of us would be surprised if the Cavaliers outperformed expectations. It's well said. I, I kind of went into the exercise expecting to have them around sixth, maybe seventh. I was surprised when I ended up with them as low as I did. And, and you're right that um, if things come together, I, I think the ceiling for that team is a lot higher than what I have. Now, while you and I and, and other media schlubs were busy picking the, the players of the year and the, and the order in the ACC, the league itself is doing a search of its own. It's looking for a new commissioner. Now, both UVA athletic director, Carla Williams and Virginia tech school president, Tim Sands are on the search committee. David, before we go into it, enlighten us a little bit of about the process, the timeline. How does it work? Well, Mike, there is a 20 member, what they are calling selection advisory committee. <laughs> it includes one representative, either a faculty athletic or rep, president, athletic director, or senior women's administrator from each of the 15 schools, plus five athletes. So there's 20. That's a mighty big room, whether you're doing in-person interviews or, or virtual. And I don't believe that Carla Williams' inclusion in that group excludes her from being a, a potential candidate for the position, just as I don't believe that uh, John Wildhack's uh, inclusion on that uh, panel precludes him being a candidate. So 
uh, a, a very interesting group. There are five ADs, five presidents, I believe two faculty reps, three senior women's administrators, and and the five athletes. As far as the timeline, Mike, you know, I always envisioned if if football somehow comes off without a hitch, I think the ideal thing would be to unveil the new commissioner at the ACC championship game in Charlotte in December. That, that to me, makes the most sense. Whether it, it turns out that way, then you have a six-month transition period where John Swafford could shepherd his successor into the position. Just seem, And that's the way the Big Ten did it with Jim Delaney and, and his successor, Kevin Warren. David, you have my heart fluttering. We've now talked about a preseason poll, and you just mentioned an ACC championship <laughs> game. I, I feel like someone's going to pinch me, and I'm going to wake up. Uh, um, so, now, so the ACC is looking for their new commissioner. Over at UVA, they found their starting quarterback. We did mention that in the opening. You touched on it when we were talking about the order of finish. You know, after the, the big headline-grabbing addition of Keaton Thompson, the Mississippi State grad transfer, Brendan Armstrong the kid who's already been in the program. Uh, he fended off Thompson. He was named the team starter last week. Did that surprise you, David? It did not, just simply from an experience standpoint, not necessarily game experience because Keaton Thompson started two games for Mississippi State before transferring one each his freshman and sophomore seasons. But Brennan Armstrong has been in that program now. He's going on his third year. He was a Bronco Mendenhall recruit. In fact, he'll be the first Bronco Mendenhall recruit to start at quarterback for the Cavaliers. So, no, I, I wasn't surprised necessarily. And I don't believe that Thompson's going to ride the pine all year. They're going to find if Keaton Thompson is as good an athlete as folks have told us. And I know you, you, you talked to Lorenzo Ward, who, who coached against Keaton Thompson, who compared him very favorably to Bryce Perkins. They're going to get that young man on the field somehow. Yeah, Coach Ward said he's already a better passer, a different style of runner, but just as effective. And yeah, I thought he could be uh, even a more impactful player. And, and you know, we know that Bryce Perkins really was the catalyst that, that helped elevate UVA last season. So those are those are some big words. What? What might a UVA offense look like with Armstrong, considering it's not Perkins anymore, but considering the offensive line's better, considering they lost a lot at receiver, but considering they brought in some pieces at running back? What do you envision for Virginia offensively? Less reliant on the quarterback. I forget what the exact percentage was last season, Mike, but Bryce Perkins accounted for, what, 80%? of Virginia's total offense. I mean, it was crazy how dependent the Cavaliers were on Perkins. I don't believe it'll be that way with Armstrong. Armstrong's not going to dance and elude tacklers and kind of shimmy out of bounds. He's going to knock you over as soon as sidestep you. And I think because of that, because of that physical style that he brings, I think offensive coordinator Robert and I and Bronco Mendenhall are going to be a little less um, 
considering of running the quarterback quite as much. Well, and it's interesting, though, too, with Armstrong and that that physical run style. You know, a big concern with Perkins was what was behind him. If something happened to Bryce Perkins, that was kind of it (laughs) offensively Mm -hmm. for Virginia. You've got to feel a little bit better now with Thompson kind of waiting in the wings to say, okay, we can we can run Armstrong in some big spots and, and we have a little bit of a better feeling about what's behind him. Absolutely. And and they still talk very highly of Lindell Stone. So we'll 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 see how that plays out as well. And Virginia's been known to run a few gadget plays. And we, we talked earlier about having Thompson on the field. You know, I I would not be surprised in the least to see him involved in some trickeration, as as the folks like to say. And you know, it, it's going to be absolutely a different offense. And you you mentioned up front where they finally think they have the depth and the quality to really compete. And if that line is as good as the staff believes it is then maybe they can find some semblance of a running game from the tailback position, which they have not done in their first four years with the program. You know, you mentioned the trickeration, and that reminds me, I they've got another quarterback in the program. He's a transfer tight end from Central Michigan, right. Tony Poljan, who uh, played quarterback for his first two years at Central Michigan. I asked Ricky Brumfeld, I said, does having a piece like that, a big six seven blocking physical tight end who could also pull up and throw a pass, does that maybe get you guys thinking about some trick plays? And Ricky stared into the Zoom screen and, and said to me, we don't run trick plays, and he winked. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> yeah. So that's certainly something that every coach loves to have those pieces. And um, real quickly, I'll mention Poljan be- just because I-, I found him to be a fascinating story. Uh, the story is still up on Richmond.com, but he's a kid who who overcame a very significant stutter. Um, had it since he was a young kid, and he told me that really through athletics is how he found his voice is how he overcame that stutter that, you know, he was made fun of when he was younger and that only made the situation worse. And, you know, I interviewed also his older brother and they both said he was such a dominating athlete, but a, um, a leader and the kind of guy you follow on the sports field, on the football field, on the basketball court, he really found his confidence. And his brother told me that's who he became, who he really was, was by playing sports. That's a it, it's a really heartwarming story to to think that you know athletics helped a young man uh, cope with 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 that um, with that speech problem and uh, as as someone uh, who has a really as a real soft spot for speech therapy and such I mean our daughter Mike not to bore our listeners. But we went through some very rigorous speech therapy, and uh, my heart goes out to anyone, parent, child, young person, adult, anyone uh, who has to has to deal with those matters. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. We always talk about sports on the field, and we've gotten into some of the off-the-field thinking about it, but it's amazing just on uh, personal levels what – sports and involvement and the confidence you can derive from that, uh, how it can really change kids' lives, even if they don't become Division One athletes or, or pro athletes. There's a uh, there's just value to sports there that I think it's part of the reason that you and I enjoy what we do. Absolutely. 
Uh, David brings us to this week's Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. Let's focus. Uh, let's continue to focus on UVA football for this week's Take It or Leave It. Uh, Bryce Perkins started every game for UVA the past two seasons. Kurt Bankert started every game the year before that. So take it or leave it, Brennan Armstrong will be the only quarterback to start a game for the Who's this season, David. I will leave it, guys, simply because I don't know that anyone at any position for any team will start every game this season simply because of the mystery that is playing football amid a global pandemic. I just... The virus and quarantining may have completely different idea, and I just think depth and backups, we're, we're, we're going to see all kinds of crazy lineups. Mike? So I'll go the opposite. I'm going to take it, and you're completely right, David, but I don't see how I don't see how Brendan Armstrong could be in COVID quarantine, and Keaton Thompson and Lindell Stone could not. It, that, that seems to me they're going to be in the same contact tracing kind of model. Um, I'm going with take it simply because Perkins started every game for two years. Bankert started every game the year before that. I view that as a mentality in the program. Uh, there's something about your quarterback showing up every Saturday. I, I think Bronco Mendenhall likes that. And I think Brennan Armstrong kind of embodies that. So I'm probably a little pie in the sky here because you're right. Nobody's going to make it through this year uh, unscathed and untouched with the with the COVID issue on top of just regular injuries to a quarterback, uh, not to mention the kind of player Thompson is. But I think there's a vision for a UVA quarterback, and part of it is he shows up every Saturday. So I'm going to go ahead and take it. Now, Armstrong's first start will come – Against, hold on, let me check my notes. This doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm sh- this can't be right. It's going to come against rival Virginia Tech in Blacksburg for the opener. Well, welcome, welcome to the gig, kid. Um, David, first off, why? Why do we have UVA and Virginia Tech in the opener? Well, it, it, at least the kid doesn't have to make his first start amid a 15-game <laughs> losing streak against his rival. So he, he's he's got that going for him. But yeah, I mean, it was scheduled for the second week of the season under the amended ACC schedule. The first ACC schedule had the Commonwealth Cup game and its traditional Thanksgiving weekend date. But it was moved to week two, and then lo and behold, Virginia Tech's opener against NC State gets moved because of COVID concerns in Raleigh. Virginia's opener against VMI gets turfed because VMI is not playing football this fall. And September 19th, Lane Stadium, until otherwise notified, will be the season opener for both squads. Yeah, it's it's a whole bunch of moving pieces. It's do you like it, David? Do you like the fact that that's the game we're opening with? Absolutely. I mean, let's let's start off, Mike, the most unique season of our time with the most unique game ever between the Hokies and the Cavaliers. I mean, let's just do it and jump right in. I I think it'll be awesome. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I, I hate it if it was a regular year. I don't want to see it become the model. Uh, I don't think opening with your rivalry game. I think the ideal is what we saw a year ago where they play each other with the division on the line. Um, you know, that to me is ideal. But in this year of everything being mixed up and football just seeming so far away for so long, I love that that's what we're looking forward to. And for a one-year kind of aberration, yes, yeah, sign me up. Now, you mentioned that, you know, Brendan Armstrong doesn't have to deal with the losing streak. He also doesn't have to deal with the fans. Um, they're, as of now, we're looking at a thousand people, most likely the family of, of parents, uh, the parents of players, the family of players. So, David, how does that enter into all of this? And what's it going to be like if, if that is the model for uh, at least stadiums here in Virginia? Well, you and I have both sat in stadiums before and watched scrimmages and or practices. We've been in gyms where there are few, if any, spectators, and it's just kids working out in front of coaches, and you hear the, the sights and sounds a, a little better and clearly. Uh, it, it's going to be weird, but I think we'll get accustomed to it pretty quickly. I mean, as you found out from Mac Brown in the ACC office yesterday, they're going to allow a certain volume of crowd noise to, to be piped in. We've heard that and watched it on Major League Baseball telecasts. So ever so gradually, we'll figure it out. It's going to be better than the alternative, and that would be having no sports at all. Yes. I mean, at this point, there's really no variation you can throw on this that I would say no to. Uh, we will have the artificial crowd noise. At Tech, we'll have, like we've seen at Major League Baseball stadiums, uh, cutouts, photo cutouts of fans. So you can be there uh, even when you're not there. Your picture can be in the stands, 70 bucks each. Is that an enticing offer to you, David? If you were a, a fan, would that would that draw your attention? No. <laughs> now, not in the less. Now, now, if you could guarantee me that my cutout is getting airtime on the telecast, then maybe I'd pony up the 70 bucks. That would definitely make it a, a little more enticing. You get to see yourself on, on TV. Who doesn't love that? Although, David, with your uh, ACC network appearance, <laughs> you, you already already get that. Maybe I will pay to have my cutout behind you the next time you do something on ACC network. There you go. Just just send it over. We'll get it in the, in the background shot. I, I love that. I don't think I would pay 70 bucks, but I, I, <laughs> I might still, uh, still like the idea. Now, UVA coach Bronco Mendenhall has been really – bluntly outspoken in his assessment of the chances for success, the chances to play this season. He obviously wants it. He's pushing. He's doing everything he can to get his team ready. Uh, but he's very realistic about what's going on. And he's also conflicted. He's the coach of a team that's getting ready to play. And he's the father of a son whose college team won't be competing this fall because of COVID. David, take me a little bit inside kind of Broncos thought process. Mike, as, as you and I have, have both come to appreciate, Bronco Mendenhall is about as transparent a coach as you are going to find. I mean, he, he answers honestly and in paragraphs and almost in this stream of consciousness 
and there's very little filter there. And and thanks to Zoom, you can see the conflict in, in his face, and you can hear it in his in his tone. And yes, you you, you mentioned his son Breaker, his, his middle son, went to Utah State as a safety, and for a while there. Like in the ACC, in the Mountain West Conference, they were preparing to play, and it was all systems uh, appeared to be go. But then the Mountain West joined the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the MAC and, and others in, in shutting down football. So there Bronco Mendenhall is as a parent, seeing his son's season short-circuited. But as a coach, he's got more than 100 players probably, including walk-ons, who desperately want to play, who desperately want him to coach them. And that's the, the different pulls that, that he feels. And he, like the rest of us, looks at the virus numbers, is concerned about what's going to happen when the student body begins to integrate with the athletes on campus for the start of in-person learning at UVA, which doesn't come for another week. So there are, you know, as much as we talk about and like to envision that September 19th opener in Blacksburg, plenty of hurdles to clear between now and then. No doubt, no doubt. And uh, that actually brings us to our Who You Got. Thanks, Mike. Uh, as David mentioned, the ACC said teams can blare uh, crowd noise or music to bring some life to the empty or the mostly empty stadiums this season. Now, put on your DJ hats if you can pick one band to blast for four quarters to pump up your guys and intimidate the visiting team. Who you got, Mike? You know, as long as I can pick out some of the more ballad-like pieces, I'm going with Led Zeppelin. I think there's so many songs in the Led Zeppelin catalog that. Um, get me fired up. It's, it's what I like to listen to if I'm lifting or working out in the basement. Um, now, understanding there are some, you know, going to California, uh, thank you, some songs I love that maybe wouldn't be stadium anthems, but for the overall catalog, I'm going to go with Led Zeppelin. Okay, so Mike's got Zeppelin. David, who you have? See, I'm going to go even, even older school. I love me some Motown now. I really do. And I'm going to have the temptations coming in there, get ready. And I mean, I, I, that, that's what, you know, that's what Mike likes to work out too. That's what I like to work out too. Well, David, you can, you can DJ my party anytime because that's a great <laughs> choice. Hey, before we get out of here, I have some, some breaking news to share, which if you listen to the podcast soon, <laughs> it'll be breaking. If not, it'll be maybe old news, but I'm hearing that Raheem Blackshear, the Virginia Tech uh, transfer, the transfer running back from Rutgers, he will be granted his waiver to play this season. David, that's potentially some pretty big news for the Hokies. Mike, I can confirm that. It's in fact, while we were uh, on on the podcast, I confessed to texting uh, with someone who is very close to the process and they they told me that Blackshear's uh, appeal has been granted, and he is indeed eligible. And if if Justin Fuente's assessment of his talent is anywhere close, yes, that is a huge addition for the Hokies. 
And when we get off of the air, I'm going to have to ask you if I've been texting the same person you've been texting, because now I'm curious that we were both a little distracted at the end, but big news for Virginia Tech and big news uh, for the football season that we hope we're heading to. And on that note, (laughs) that's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts. Just find the RTD Podcast channel. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again in two weeks. (laughs) 